So the culture wars in America are currently as bad as they have ever been. The opposite sides of the social divide in our country are as far apart as possible, each yelling at the other across the chasm. Pro-immigration advocates yell at anti-immigration isolationists. Anti-gay marriage proponents yell at the defenders of marriage equality. Pro-choice and anti-abortion foes have been yelling at each other for so long that it's hard to believe that there's anything more to yell about. When African Americans yell, Black Lives Matter, the police yell back, Blue Lives Matter. When campaign-style rallies begin with chants of lock her up for a person who is no longer a politician, it must just be yelling for yelling's sake. Of course, Republicans yell at Democrats, and Democrats yell at Republicans. Gun owners yell at teenagers, and teenagers courageously yell back. The NFL yells at players who take a knee during the national anthem. Men yell at women. Women yell, me too, and time's up. Build the wall, drain the swamp. USA! 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 There is a lot of yelling going on. Now, moral outrage feels good. It gets the blood flowing. It triggers a release of dopamine in our brains. Moral outrage confirms that we, what we have thought all along. It assures us that our side is right and the other side is wrong. It rewards us for defending what is right and true and just and obvious. It lets us know which tribe we are in. Moral outrage is our ticket into the club. It gives us status and kinship. And moral outrage demands that we make an enemy out of the other side. It does not matter on which side of an issue we are. Moral outrage requires us to demonize the other side. It demands hatred for the very people to whom we should be showing Love. Now, I don't know what your summer plans are like, but mine include a 10-day trip to the blood-red part of Montana, where my parents live. This is squarely Trump country. The people who live near Thompson Falls, Montana, the nearest town of any size to my parents' house, are good people. That is not to be disputed. They work hard, live modestly, and go to church, just like us. They vote on election day, enjoy a baseball game, and grill in the backyard, just like us. These people complain about the price of gas, enjoy working in their gardens, and flock to see the latest Star Wars movie, just like us. Unlike most of us, though, Many of them keep guns in their houses and trucks and cars. Most believe taxes are unfair and wrong. Lots worship a God who has already condemned all of us to hell. And a vast majority believe that anything labeled progressive is part of a liberal conspiracy to take away their jobs, their guns, and their children. The people I will be among for 10 days this summer 
honestly believe their lives are being stolen from them, stolen by liberals, stolen by immigrants, stolen by people of color, stolen by Jews and Muslims, stolen by gays, and certainly stolen by feminists. All members of my own family strongly believe this. So why are you going to Montana, you ask? (laughs) Well, I'm going to Montana because I actually love my family. I love my family and I refuse to make an enemy of them. And more importantly, my showing up prevents them from making an enemy of me. For how can you hate someone who comes to you in love. In 1983, at an assembly of the World Council of Churches in Vancouver, British Columbia, when a resolution was brought to the floor calling for an end to the practice of apartheid in South Africa, Archbishop Desmond Tutu rose to address the delegates. An observer remembers him saying, I only have one concern about the declaration, I note the absence of any expression of love for our white South African brothers and sisters, even those who support the existing unjust policy that's so destructive to my people and to our nation. He went on to say, we of course want change. Indeed, we must have change. But we want our oppressors to know that though we oppose their policies, We wish them no ill. Fairness and just treatment for all people in South Africa is all we want. And when this policy is eventually overturned, we want to work side by side with all South Africans toward peace and reconciliation in our nation. Can you imagine? So what if the old rules of war didn't apply? What if there was a different way to engage with those who oppose us? What if there was a better way to promote our agenda without leaving others behind? Jesus is remembered to have said, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who cheat you. Could we really do this? I know that I would find it very hard. I would have to really readjust my reactive tendencies to do this. It would force me to remember everyone's humanity and to act accordingly. What it would not require, however, is giving up of my desire for more justice and freedom and peace. We must be careful not to misunderstand either Jesus or Desmond Tutu. Neither is so naive as to believe progress does not come without a struggle. Neither advocates giving up and letting the oppressor win. Each says, continue the work, but see the humanity in your opponent. Don't see your enemy as a permanent enemy. Love the ones across from you. For love can bridge the chasm. So how will I do it? 
How will I stand 10 days in conservative Montana? Well, I have a strategy, and we'll see if it works or not. First of all, family gets a pass, a complete pass. Yes, they're going to say uninformed things, things that make me uncomfortable, things that I am going to want to refute, and it is not my job to scold them. You can be sure that I won't be laughing at the jokes or pretending these ideas are okay. Instead, I'm planning to sow seeds of doubt by wondering aloud if the opposite of what they are saying might also be true. If I am to be in relationship, any hint of self-righteousness will only confirm their suspicions that I cannot be trusted. I used to work to change my family. I used to work at it really hard, but not anymore. I am far more effective by trying to enter their world for a little bit. The next part of my strategy is to give myself some breaks. I will go for a nice long walk every morning alone. (laughs) I will call or text friends during the stay to let off a little bit of steam. I will spend as much time as possible playing with my young nieces and nephews. The more I can just be the fun, weird uncle from the big city the more the next generation will see that there are other ways to live. They will realize that there is a big, wide world out there waiting for them if they choose to explore it. And the last, most important part of my strategy is to not get into any fights, verbal or otherwise. When somebody is looking to make an enemy, they want a fight. That's what they want, is a fight. They want to confirm that they are right and the other person is wrong. They want to yell. They want to cry. They want to hurt this enemy. Well, homie, don't play that. (laughs) What on earth could be there to fight over that is worth risking my place in my family? They are who they are. I am who I am. It does not diminish me in any way to simply turn the other cheek. The culture wars in America are not going to simmer down anytime soon. We're going to just have to get used to this. I shudder to think how low civility might actually go in our country. The limits of journalism, diplomacy, and comedy are all being seriously tested right now. It seems like people are willing to say anything they want to to other people, no matter how hurtful or demeaning. Rather than despairing, we need to see these times as the greatest opportunity we have been given in recent decades to be of help. Our country needs people who will resist the urge to yell across the chasm, It needs people who will go to where the so-called enemy lives and to see how the people there are really doing. Our country needs those who will ignore much of the 24-hour news cycle and focus on positive change all around us. It needs all of us to calm down, stop reacting, and start talking. 
Curiosity is the only thing that can save us. If we are curious about how our opponents got to be the way they are, we can begin to see their humanity. They can stop being our enemy, and they can become just another person, acting and reacting out of a place of hurt. This same place of hurt is the one that we often act and react out of ourselves. Love your enemies does not mean agree or give in. It means see the other as human first. Be curious about how they became who they are. The theologian Frederick Buchner says, In seeing what is hateful about your enemies, you may catch a glimpse also of where the hatefulness comes from. Seeing the hurt they cause you, you may also see the hurt that they cause themselves. You're still light years away from loving them, he says, to be sure, but at least you can see how they are human, even as you are human. It is possible that you may even get to where you can pray for them a little bit. In the long run, it may be easier to love the ones we look in the eye and hate, the enemies, than the ones whom, because we are as afraid of ourselves as we are of them, we choose not to look at at all. I will return from Montana this summer fully myself. I will be glad to be back to my life in Massachusetts. I won't long for the time when I might move back to a home that has long ago ceased to feel like home. I will have chopped some wood, put up some hay, and cooked some meals. I will have dressed Barbie dolls, driven toy trucks, and swum in the pond with my brother and sister's children. Are these people my enemies? In one sense, yes. But in every sense that matters to me, they are family. Just like me, they are children of God. Just like me, they want a good life. Just like me, they are doing their best to bridge the chasm. They're doing their best to love. And that is something. So be it. Amen.